Tonight presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today we salute you, Mr. Male Football Cheerleader. Mr. Male Football Cheerleader. Real men don't just play smash mouth football. Real men turn cartwheels and somersaults on the sidelines, tucked safely away from the action. Don't touch me now. Fourth down and inches. The game's on the line. It all comes down to you. Will you call for a perky pyramid or a peppy line dance? Get out of my shoulder. Knock them back, knock them back, all the way to Hackensack. So grab an ice-cold Bud Light, Mr. Male Football Cheerleader. You may never score a touchdown, but you're peppy. That's got to count for something. That's got to count for something. Bud Light beer at Isabel St. Louis, Missouri. Great little AAA manager. Called me into his office, and he said, son, you had a great year. Just wanted to tell you that. And I said, thank you. And he goes, one other thing. He goes, you're flying to San Diego tomorrow morning. He said, you're going to the big leagues, and I'll never want to see you back. And I said, don't worry, you won't. Here I am, 21 years old, 22 years old, and I'm going to the big leagues, man. I'm 21, I'm going to the big leagues. I can just remember calling mom and dad and saying, flying to San Diego tomorrow, connect your flight in Atlanta, straight to San Diego. All of a sudden, your son calls and says, I'm in the show, and it just super feeling I couldn't get there fast enough I couldn't I went straight from the airport to the field <laughs> threw my luggage down right there inside the clubhouse and I said give it to me where's my where's my uni I want it I gotta have it right now one more time set and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez down the fastball swung on it's a deep center field Bernie Williams goes back and it is get out the line Brent and the mustard this time grab off it is a grand salami and the Mariners lead it 10-6 I don't believe it From high atop the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex and straight out of God's country, Pauly's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kagalaki, half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where... We collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, Seamans? What's juicy? Man, I just love this time of year. Going back to when I was a kid, that time of year when spring is transitioning into summer. The baseball season is nearly a month in, and the stats and the standings are beginning to carry a little weight. 
As an Orioles fan, I'm enjoying watching the emergence of Adley Rockstar, who has exceeded all my expectations, and I'm sure most of you can find nuggets of hope when it comes to your ball club. Well, you know, except maybe Cecil. Now, you know, our resident A's fan down Florida, that's a tough situation going out there in Oakland. And this may be the sad end to an Oakland baseball tradition as that club is on critical alert. Damn near uh, flatlining. What's cracking? So, hello everybody. I'm Jake Robinson coming out of the palatial Robinson Gearing Studio Complex in beautiful Pauley's Island, South Carolina. And this is BKP. And I'm truly living the dream, folks. Took my dog flower to the beach earlier, got her paws wet. Her and I sat in the sand and did some show research. Went to Jimmy John's. We shared an electric cold cut sub, which that's our favorite, by the way. Everything on it. Came home. We passed out of the couch together for about, you know, one of these hour power naps. And here we are in our customary position of me on the microphone and her at my feet with, uh, you know, the Angels and the Red Sox playing in the background. Shohei Otani. He, you know, he's got a .45 ERA. Oh, and he hits a little bit, too. I, that guy is a fucking freak. But I'm truly living this dream life. And I, I want to thank all of you in the audience here for being a major component in my happy life. It's the great people like yourself who made it possible to do what I genuinely love. And that's why I will never charge you for the baseball content here at Backwards K-Pod. I'm never going to Patreon you or make you pay for Twitch. I'm never going to crowdsource you, you know, for this pay-to-play kind of thing. I ain't never going to pay for a podcast, and I will never, never do that to you guys. That's just straight Bush League horseshit. I'm just going to come through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. The audience will let me know when I don't belong in the lineup anymore, but... As long as you guys keep penciling me in, I'm going to keep, keep it consistent like Randy Johnson, big unit style, baby. So, again, thank you for joining me in my dojo. I got a lot of things going on this week. We not only had today's show, but I'll be dropping a bonus pod later this week when I interview former Orioles Southpaw killer Benny Ayala. I'm also headed home to the Charm on Sunday, and next week I will be actually doing the first podcast show I have ever done in my home city of Baltimore. I'm going to go watch the O's and the Red Sox uh, series at Camden. It's my first trip at the, to the stadium to watch a game in 12 years. I, I actually pre-ordered tickets eight years ago versus the White Sox, and that game was canceled because of the civil unrest in Baltimore. Uh, you know, after the whole Freddie Gray trial. So, God willing, there are no shenanigans between the corrupt-ass Baltimore City Police and the angry citizens this time around, and I'll get to enjoy some fucking baseball. So, as you can see, busy, busy, busy. I want to get right after this week. Thank you, everyone, for the nice words on the Greg Maddox show, as well as the Charlie Brown bio. Both shows, they seem to go over very well, but let's get this train Back on track and rolling into this week's topic. If I can get this platform cleared for our time travel choo-choo, all you C-Meds that are coming, kiss your loved ones goodbye as I call all aboard. 
And I'm going to set our date and destination for Deland, Florida, 1972. As this week, I'm going to take a look under the hood at the baseball life of Hall of Famer Chipper Jones, one of my favorite ball players that I ever saw play. And I can remember hearing about Chipper as a young prospect, and all I kept thinking was, yeah, this guy better be pretty good with a name like that. I mean, Chipper Jones. He was destined to be a ball player and a successful one at that. I mean, with that namesake, where else would that name work? President Chipper Jones? Nah, I can't vote for a guy named Chipper to run the free world, you feel me? Chipper Jones, attorney in law, get the fuck out of here. Maybe a NASCAR driver? That's about it for me. You know, it's got to be one or the other. Baseball player or a NASCAR driver? Chipper Jones was destined for that, you know, uh, path. And even the story behind his name is layered in baseball myth. For throwback generations of fathers like Larry Sr., they had dreams of their son following in the path of the great Mickey Mantle. And we saw this in Johnny Bench and in Pete Rose's father, the complete adulation of Mickey and the desire to watch their sons emulate their boyhood hero. Well, Chipper's father was no different. From an early age, he noticed his son held many familiar characteristics with the Mick. He was a small-town country boy with good athletic looks, southern draw, as well as his son's physical aptitude for dropping dong from both sides of the plate. As a kid, Chipper didn't even know what Mickey looked like. He loved to listen to his dad opine about his amazing feats on the ball field, even though he had never seen him play. And Chipper fell in love with Mickey's aura, his mystique, because, in his words, he had the coolest name ever, which made him the coolest guy ever for me. No Gen X baseball player ever followed the mantle mystique more closely than the cocky kid from Pearson, Florida. He was practically groomed and packaged for superstardom at a young age. And he had a cool nickname like his father's idol. Chipper would exceed even the most loftiest of projections that had been set for him as long as he could remember. He would later say before his Cooperstown deduction that, despite what many may think, baseball was never imposed on me. If anything, I was doing the imposing, always asking my dad to take me to the park for more batting practice. The Atlanta Braves would select him as the number one pick in 1990, which, sidebar, the Braves were bottom feeders in 1989, but if you remember, they and the Twins would end up in the 1991 World Series, both teams going worse to first, and I bring this up because butterfly effects moment here. How lucky were the Braves to get Chipper Jones, number one, at literally the beginning of the Braves' empire construction of the 90s. Selecting Chipper, number one, before the renaissance of the organization is literally just dumb luck. But man, did it take the Braves to a place of consistent domination into the 21st century. He helped lead the franchise to its first world title during his rookie year, earned an MVP crown, and became the offensive face of the dynastic Atlanta Braves. 
at his Cooperstown, Cooperstown induction, Chipper proclaimed he never wanted to play anywhere else. Citing, I'm a southern country boy. I wanted to play in a southern town where I would be comfortable. And I felt comfortable from day one in Atlanta and in the Braves organization. After announcing his retirement in 2012, the Braves' third baseman was so respected that opposing teams showered him with gifts on his farewell tour. He was even afforded respect in Queens, New York, where he had basically tormented Mets fans for so long with his inordinate supply of game-breaking moments versus the Braves' rivals. The New York fans afforded him the respect of a baseball icon that day, but they still heckled the one-time brass star for past outspoken comments and an adulterous affair that haunted his image early on in the pros. Over the years, all of his imagery problems receded from the spotlight as Chipper matured into a man and as a ball player. He would make the Hall in 2018 with 97.2% of the vote from baseball writers, making him the second highest voting percentage among third basements in baseball history behind only George Brett of the Kansas City Royals. And from the moment Chipper was born, April 24th, 1972, so a week from today, he'll be celebrating his 51st birthday. He's born on uh, April 24, 1972 to Larry and Lynn Jones. And everyone remarked how Larry looked like his father. And someone said, man, he's a chip off the old block, ain't he? And the name Chipper was born. And he's been called that by the family ever since. The family lived on a 10-acre leatherleaf fern farm in Pearson, Florida which is a small blue-collar community that is dubbed the Fern Capital of the World. His father played baseball at Stetson University and was now a math teacher and a varsity baseball coach at Taylor High School. His mother, Lynn, was a professed professional equestrian, and she was a beast. Chipper credits mom with instilling necessary arrogance to his profile. She taught me swagger. She had a strut. A look in her eye that told you she was better than you, and you're going to lose. And his father taught him how to play baseball. But Chipper carried that necessary arrogance throughout his professional career. His father painted a strike zone on the wooden garage at Lynn's horse farm, and he would throw tennis balls and whipple balls to his young prodigy. His father never took it easy, putting everything he had behind every pitch. And they began a ritual of one-on-one games where Chipper would pretend to be his favorite Dodgers in the lineup. He was a huge Dodgers fan growing up. So when Steve Garvey or the Penguin, Ron Say were up, he would go right foot. And when Kenny Landro or Reggie Smith batted, he would switch to left foot. By the time Chipper is 11 years old, his father would never beat him in a one-on-one match again. Jones' natural right-hand swing. It often saw him step in the bucket towards the third baseman, a bad habit that he would never truly break. His father suggested the toe tap before his swing for more balance and better timing. It truly became the signature for his hitting style, especially off that left foot. 
it also became one of the most mimicked batting styles in the Atlanta area during his career. And it's funny. I was playing a lot of fast-pitch softball at this time, and I, and I too tried the toe tap for a stretch of games. I personally found it was effective versus fastballs, but anything all speed like change-ups and curves, and I would, you know, constantly find myself out on my front foot, rolling over horseshit grounders to short. So I didn't stay with the toe tap for an extended period of time, but the phys- physics of it made total sense to me. Chipper would often say that the Braves should have put his father on the payroll. No one knew my swing like my father. He knows it inside and out. When I would struggle, I'd call Pops. Even Atlantic coaches eventually learned to step aside for the one person who could always find the flaw. Chipper's first breakout moment in his baseball career was smashing three home runs versus Jason Veritek and the Altamonte Springs travel baseball team. They would lose that game, and Veritek and the Altamonte Springs team would advance to the Little League World Series, but it was Chipper who turned heads and had the neighborhood a buzz. By the time Chipper is in the 8th grade, he makes the varsity baseball team at Taylor High. His father, Larry, quit his job as a team coach because he was sensitive to calls of favoritism towards his son, but it was apparent that Chipper was a baseball phenom. After that freshman year, Chipper transfers to a prestigious private academy, the Bowles School. That's about 100 miles away in Jacksonville. And this wasn't a transfer that had anything to do with, you know, uh, wanting to face better competition or the pursuit of Chipper becoming a better ball player. In fact, it was really because both Larry and Lynn felt like their son was getting an easy ride because of his athletic prowess at Taylor High School. And his mother once said, he was making straight A's, but we never saw him open a book fucking once. Chipper, the self-professed, small-town country boy, he struggled initially with the move to Bowles. Uh, Despite being named QB1 as a sophomore, he became overwhelmed and longed to be back home with his family and friends, and he had gone from a one-stop light town to a big city with a lot of rich kids, kids that were way richer than him. And he would eventually acclimate himself and become more comfortable, but he found that the friends he had grown up with in Pearson were now alienating him. And he felt like a traitor around his old friends whenever he came home. You, you could see the contempt on their faces, especially when his Bulls team eliminated Taylor High School in the playoffs three consecutive years. But Jones never forgot this experience, and it always influenced his decision to not test the free agent market and to remain with the Braves throughout his career. During his senior year, the MLB scouts showed up at his games, and even at his batting practice sessions, his coach, uh, Don Soriano, would try his best to shield the young chipper, but the effort became futile. Jones was named as the Florida State Player of the Year after hitting 488 as a switch hitting shortstop, and he went 7-3 with a 1.00 ERA as a pitcher. The consensus top pick 
in the amateur draft that year, and the national player of the year was pitcher Todd Van Poppel from Arlington, Texas. And I can hear the Snickers now. Big six foot five inch right handed pitcher with a 95 mile per hour fastball, big looping yackers. And he is drawing comparisons to Nolan Ryan and Roger Clemens, which really, I mean, it's laughable considering what we know about, you know, Van Poppel's future that's about to play out here. The Braves had the number one selection, but Van Poppel said he would not sign with the Lily Braves or any team for that matter as he had designs on playing for the Texas Longhorns. The Braves had finished last in the NL, uh, the then NLS three of the previous four years, and they were on their way to 97 losses and another last place finish in 1990. Jones and Van Poppel had met each other once before when they were both visiting the U in Miami. I highly doubt neither could have imagined that day that they would be forever linked in baseball history. And Tom Glavin was very outspoken about it. You don't want to play here? Fuck off. We don't want you. And if Tom Van Poppel didn't want to be an Atlanta Brave, I was more than happy to take his place, Chipper would say. The Braves, from their perspective, said, fuck Van Poppel. If he doesn't want to play here, this Chipper Jones kid is fucking fire. And Brave Scouts, they met with the Jones family over dinner after Chipper graduated high school, and they began talking salary for their soon-to-be number one pick. And instead of haggling over winning the lottery, Jones let Atlanta know, if you make me the number one pick, it's all good, pay me what you think is fair. He would settle for a $275,000 signing bonus, nearly a million dollars less than what Van Poppel got from the Oakland A's with the 14th pick in the same draft. But Chipper didn't give a shit. He was not about to come in on the bad foot into the Braves organization whining about money or holding out. So he's then sent to rookie league camp in Bradenton, Florida, about a three-hour drive from his hometown of Pearson. He suffered a hand injury in a fight with a former high school teammate, and he hitches 229 in 44 games. In desperation, Chipper asked manager Joe Procopio, 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 manager Jim Procopio, if he can just hit righties and southpaws as a right-handed batter. The manager obliged. Obliged, and it cost him his job. The Braves were not interested in Chipper's stats, only in his development. Jones spent the fall of 1990 in an instructional league in West Palm Beach, Florida, where he met Hall of Fame slugger Willie Stargell and former Senators great Frank Howard, who were both employed by the Braves organization at this time as hitting instructors. And Willie Stargell recommends to Chipper that he swing a heavier bat, promising him that his body will catch up to it, which it did. He was filling out to an eventual six foot four, two hundred ten pound frame. Willie told Chipper, "We'll have you hitting thirty home runs in no time." So a nervous Chipper calls his dad, asks his father what he thought about the Hall of Famer's suggestion, to which his father retorted back. Hey, when Willie Stargell tells you something, you should respect it and heed his advice. And that's what he did. In his second year of pro ball, he scorched 
Single-A pitching with Macon with a three twenty-six average, 15 home runs, 24 doubles, 11 triples, and 40 stolen bases. But his defense was atrocious. He committed a whopping 71 errors in 135 games. I mean, that's crazy. I've never heard of anything like that in my life. He continually worked with infield coach Carlos Rios to get his defense up to Major League Baseball par. But even with all of his defensive deficiencies, and it sounds like he had a lot, Baseball Weekly named him as the number four prospect entering the 1992 season. After starting 1992 in high A with the Durham Bulls, Chipper is promoted to Braves AA affiliate in Greenville, South Carolina. Managed by former Red Sox manager Grady Little, the Greenville roster was loaded with future major leaguers like Javi Lopez, Tony Tarasco, Pedro Warbon. The Greenville Braves finished 143. They won the Southern League Championship, and to this day, it's recognized as one of the best minor league teams ever. Chipper is now at 20 years old. He's a major contributor. He batted 346, and he led the team uh, in triples. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, he led the league in triples with 11. Jones did miss a playoff game that fall for reasons he still regrets to this day. That was the day he married Karen Fulford, whom he met the year before in Maycomb, and who was attending Wesleyan College. He blew up a playoff game versus the Chattanooga Lookouts in the championship series, and neither the Braves nor his parents were happy with Chipper's decision and actions there. And that bad decision, well, it kind of foreshadowed an unhappy and tumultuous marriage. The following year, Chipper is called up to the show during the playoffs with Triple A Richmond. He made his debut September 11th, 1993. Uh, he talks about that at the top of the uh, show, in the beginning of the show, that little clip I played there. He comes in as a de- defensive replacement in a blowout win over the Padres in San Diego. The Braves at this time are embroiled with their most fierce rival at this time, which is the San Francisco Giants in a pennant race for the ages. And there is the rookie, Chipper Jones, soaking it all in, baby. 20 years old. He's the youngest player in the majors. He wasn't playing a lot. He recorded his first hit on September 14th in Fulton County Stadium against Red South Paul, Kevin Wickander. But he only had two ABs in the season's final three weeks. The Braves would make the postseason, but manager Bobby Cox left the rookie off the playoff roster. Chipper did travel with the team to Filthy, however, for the NL Championship Series. But the Braves were cooked from the tension of the close pennant race, and they would fall to the Phillies in six games. Jones entered the 1994 training camp, preparing to back up Terry Pendleton at third, while splitting time at shortstop. Then, left fielder Ron Gant destroyed his leg in a preseason motorcycle accident. And that opened a position in the Braves starting lineup. So, Atlanta begins working chipper in the outfield. Something he's only sparingly done in his life. But he figures... I got Otis Nixon and Deion Sanders here to help me. I can do this. So, he's learning the ropes on the major league level. 
He's batting 375 with three home runs when tragedy strikes just two weeks before opening day. On March 18th, in an exhibition game versus the Yankees, Chipper looks to avoid a tag at first base when he heard his left knee pop. The diagnosis is grim as he had suffered a full tear of his ACL. Chipper's season was ended prematurely, as was the 1992 MLB season, which was truncated by the player's strike that robbed fans of the 1994 World Series, leaving the young Chipper to wait out an excruciating longer-than-usual offseason to get back after it. Finally, the owners and players decide to play nice, and Chipper's name is in the opening day lineup, playing third and batting third. And he can remember his pride wearing number 10 for the first time, a number that his dad always wore. Only two-thirds of the seats at Fulton County Stadium were filled, but Chipper wasn't going to let anything ruin his first opening day. Unfortunately, he almost ruined opening day by himself. And his welcome to the MLB moment, he finds himself looking up at a Barry Bonds pop-up in the very first inning. And in his excitement and zeal to impress the fans and his teammates, he inexplicably runs over the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Greg Maddison. We touched on this a little bit in last week's show. And with Chipper and Doggy laying on the ground, Jones just wanted to do like a Snickers commercial and get the fuck away as... He and Maddox dust off and stand up. Maddox is giving it to the young third baseman in front of everybody. And when they get into the dugout, Mad Dog is still fired up. Hey, Jones, whatever your fucking name is, calm the fuck down, you goddamn rookie. Jesus Christ, dude, you nearly killed me out there. Get your head out of your ass. And Chipper, you know, he's apologizing over and over. And on the inside, he has, you know, this combination of embarrassment, shame, and the hunger to atone. And only minutes after having Doggy dress him up and down, he did atone. By driving in the Braves' first run of the season, he would add another RBI and score three runs in that opener, and Maddox instantly fell in love with the kid and later apologized in the clubhouse. Mad Dog did love to prank Chipper more than any other teammate. His love for Chip was from that first game, after he nearly stampeded him to death. <laughs> Just... 13 months removed from the first debilitating injury in his baseball life. He is on the Braves roster, making an impact in the majors. All of his hard work is about to pay off. Fittingly, Jones would drop his first dog at Shea Stadium versus the Mets. With baseball realigning and the Braves now in the more geographically correct NL East... The Braves and the Mets would become one of the most heated, toxic rivalries in baseball. That still works today. Chipper himself, who seemed to save his best performances for the Mets, would often be the ire of New York fans both on and off the field. His very first game-winning hit came at the expense of the Mets that year when he breaks a 2-2 deadlock in the ninth, dropping Dong on Mets reliever Josias Manzanillo's lips. 
And that home run kind of opened the Chipper Jones power bat floodgates as he went deep four more times in the next seven games. Less than a week after that explosion of vulgar power, he drops walk-off dong all over elite clothes of Rob Nen's lips. And to this day... Chipper recognizes the importance of that stretch in his career. He went from questioning his ability and worth to the Braves. By the way, that Maddox dude, he still keeps giving me the stink eye every once in a while. So he goes from questioning his ability and worth to the Braves to not only does he belong, but he can make an impact on an already powerful and contending club. He finished his rookie career uh, campaign with a solid 265 average, 23 home runs, 86 RBIs. As the Braves destroyed the NL East, winning it by 21 games. There was a little controversy in the NL Rookie of the Year voting that year as sports writers had the silly year-long talk show debate on whether a Japanese player who played five years in the Nippon Professional Baseball League was considered a rookie in the MLB. I mean, that was the year hurler sensation Hideo Nomo bursted on the scene and changed the baseball landscape forever for Japanese baseball players. Of course, today, no one but a fucking troll would make the case that a former Nippon leaguer isn't a rookie in his first MLB season. But, there was some, you know, salt thrown back and forth by the writers back then and Hideo Nomo would actually win the coveted award. And Chipper would play second. But, you know, Jones didn't seem to care. He was singularly focused on bigger team goals. MLB had implemented a wild card and an extra round of postseason play. Jones's NLCDS debut was certainly one to remember. Game one versus the Colorado Rockies. Sold out Coors Field in Denver. Chippers on national TV setting the table for his future exploits. In the third inning, Chipper cuts through the thin air for a home run. In the eighth, he makes a diving play on a line drive smash off the bat of the big cat Andres Galarraga to preserve a 4-4 tie. In the top of the ninth, he shits all over Kurt Lestanek's hanging slider, sending it over the right center field fence. To give Atlanta a 5-4 win on the road. Game 1 in the best of 5 series. Riding off of that tone. That Chipper had set. The Braves choked out the Rocks in 4 straight games. Chipper again sets the tone in game 1 of his uh, debut NLCS versus the Reds. With Atlanta down 1-0 in the ninth, The rookie third baseman led off the inning with a single. Off of Reds southpaw Pete Skirk. Two batters later, he would score the tying run on a ground out. The Braves would go on to win in the 11th inning and then sweep the Reds out of World Series consideration in four games. Chipper was outstanding in his first NL postseason experience, gathering at least one hit in all eight games and batting 3-0-8. And Jones was solid in the uh, World Series against the Tribe. We kind of covered it a little in last week's Maddox bio. Let the record show. And that gripping one nothing thriller. Game 6 won by Atlanta. Highlighted by that, you know, David Justice solo shot. 
Chipper Jones had three hits in that game. And once Marquise Grissom caught the final out in the Braves clincher, Chipper Jones' baseball life up to this miraculous rookie moment, it all flashed before his eyes. He was the first infielder to the mound to meet Javi Lopez and Mark Wallers, and he wound up being at the absolute bottom of the dog pile. And to this day, he'll tell you, it was the best paid of my life. The Braves, who to this day, used the wise adage of identifying players for the long-term future and quickly locking them up, they extended Chipper's contract after his rookie year and the offseason to four more years and $8.2 million. And folks, I think that's where I'm going to take a break, pay some bills, take a puff or two from a fog, rehydrate with some HTL. So look, please support the grassroots sponsors who support your grassroots podcast show. When we come back, we'll continue with the Chipper Jones bio. BRB, Seamheads. I'll see you on the other side of the break. Executive producer of Backwards K Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fishing Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap, only to touch my eyes half hour later, and my face begins to melt off due to damn Cajun Old Bay spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner, specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290. 
to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning. Crawfishhandcleaner.com Put a couple of his stories in my book, and uh, they 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 were well received uh, and got some good laughs. So one of them, when 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 our starters were not pitching, they had a foursome. We had five starters. The guy was pitching that day. The other four starters played golf. Okay. Maddox would come in after playing golf. Didn't shower after playing golf. Just come right to the clubhouse. He would. Uh, <clears throat> His locker was right next to the sanitary sock bin, okay, the the white socks that we wore underneath our stirrups or, you know, whatever blue socks we were wearing. So he would drop trowel, you know, take a stirrup or a, a sanitary sock, wipe his ass, okay, oh, put it back in the sanitary sock bin, and he would sit there, and he would wait for guys to come in and pick up the sock. Right? And go to their locker. I'm sorry if this is totally gross. Okay? But he would, he, he would sit there and wait. And this, you know, sometime, one time it was me, I pulled the sock up and I got this giant bacon strip up my shin. Okay? Alright? Now, it takes a sick human being to do that. It really does oh, yeah. take a sick human being to do that. But that's Greg Maddox. He's the grossest human being that I've ever met in my life. Another story. Chipper's rookie season in the majors after suffering a shredded ACL and facing uncertainty and economic dark times that saw him have to ask his wife's parent for money during the baseball strike of 1994. A year later is a complete 180 degree turn. He is healthy. He is productive. He's narrowly missing out on the Rookie of the Year award. But the team goes on to beat Cleveland in a six-game World Series for the world title. And at the conclusion of the season, the Braves reward him with a four-year, $8.2 million extension. And with his extension in hand, Chipper blasts 30 home runs in 1996, and he begins a streak of eight consecutive years with 100 or more RBIs. Atlanta won their second consecutive NL pennant. Bobby Cox selected him along with five teammates to represent the Braves in the the All-Star game. Chipper would actually start in place of the injured Matt Williams in the 1996 Midsummer Classic. And he would finish fourth in NL MVP voting behind winner Ken Caminiti. Quiet, yo. 
Atlanta disposed of LA in the NLDS and then fell behind three games to one in the NLCS. Unfortunately for St. Louis, the Braves were fired up after watching Dennis Eckersley fist pump all over the Braves after closing out game four. And Atlanta now had a chip on their shoulder and they proceeded to pummel the cards 32 to 1 over the next three games to win the NL pennant and give Eckersley the finger. Chipper batted 404 during that season series. And after beating the Yankees the first two games in the Bronx, that 96 World Series, the Braves seemed destined to repeat and stake claim to their dynasty. They were the hottest team on the planet, and then they weren't. The Yankees swept them in Atlanta. That stretch was punctuated by the Braves owning a 6 to nothing lead in Game 4, only to see it disintegrate before their eyes, culminating in a game-tying Jimmy Lambert's home run for the ages. The Yankees would then close them out at Yankee Stadium in Game 6 as Chipper stood on the on-deck circle and watched Mark Lemke pop out to end the series with the tying and go-ahead runners on base. The Braves began the 1997 season with a new crib called Turner Field. There was also some roster turnover as the Braves had traded David Justice and Marquise Grissom to Cleveland for relief pitcher Alan Embre and Kenny Lawton. In 1998 and 99, his private life becomes public when he admitted in an interview, he had multiple affairs and had a child with a waitress from Hooters. And, look, he accepted his responsibility in making bad decisions, but it distorted his all-American image, and that would take years to repair. Meanwhile, the tabloid gossip had become weaponized by opposing fans, and nowhere was the heckling more fierce than in Queens at Shea Stadium. Pitcher Oral Hershiser, in an interview, he mentioned that Chipper hated being called by his birth name, Larry. So, of course, the Mets faithful, they used this, and they began chanting, Larry, Larry. And Jones, well, he shrugged off the chiding to deliver his career-defining 1999 MVP season. A tip he received from new Braves hitting coach changed him forever. And despite being a natural right-handed hitter, Chipper had much more power on the left side. He'd always hit more home runs for the left side. And at this point in his career, only 12 of his 108 career home runs had come from the right foot. So NL managers, they learned to exploit this flaw by going into, uh, you know, the bullpen, pulling out the southpaw in critical situation late in the game, and they would force him to bat right-handed. Well, Don Baylor forced him to develop the same confident attitude that he had on the left foot. The necessary arrogance that I mentioned earlier, that his mother had instilled in him so long ago. And the mindset paid dividends as his first home run of 1999 came off Diamondback Super Southpaw Randy Johnson, the big unit. He went on to hit 352 versus left-handers with a career-high 15 big flies from the right foot, setting the NL record for the most home runs by a National League switch hitter with 45. 
in late September of that 99 season, the Mets come into Turner's Field just one game behind Atlanta with 12 games still to play and six of those versus their rivals. The Braves, powered by Chipper's four home runs in the series, two from each side of the dish, they put the Mets on their ass. A week later, he punished the Mets and their chanting fans reaching base five times in the series as the Mets, as the Braves took two or three and knocked the 1999 Mets out of winning the NL East pennant. His dominance against the Mets down the stretch and propelled Chipper to win the NL MVP award. He received 29 of 32 first place votes after batting 319 with 116 runs scored and 126 RBIs. From a personal standpoint, he set career highs with his 45 home runs, 126 walks, and 25 stolen bases. The Mets would regroup, though. They would make the playoffs as a wild card and upset the 100-win Arizona Diamondbacks team to set the table for the Braves-Mets matchup in the NLCS. And with these Vociferous boos and Larry Chance raining down on him. Chipper reached base 15 out of the 29 plate appearances he made in the series. Four of his nine walks were intentional, but he only recorded one RBI. The Braves would win the 10th series when Andrew Jones was uh, walked with the bases loaded in the 11th inning of Game 6. And that would clinch yet another World Series appearance for the Braves. Chipper, who had been the target of the Mets fans the whole series, was all smiles when he shot back. Now all these fucking Mets fans can go home and change into their Yankees gear. They would face those Yankees in the World Series, and there probably were Mets fans outwardly rooting for the Yankees. In a matchup that was billed as the fight to crown the team of the 90s. It, it, It was a big letdown. The 1999 Yankees team is without question one of the greatest teams I've ever seen in my life. Atlanta was not in their class, quite honestly. No one was beating them that year. They choked the Braves out in a uh, four-game sweep. And Chipper had three hits in four games, including a home run off of El Duque Orlando Hernandez in the series opener. So after his MVP year, The Braves, again, offer an extension of six years, $90 million. His agent, Steve Hammond, took his time accepting this offer and was still trying to angle for more money when Chipper fired him and replaced him with his longtime friend, B.B. Abbott. And the two of them, they signed the deal quickly. And with his new contract in hand, Chipper buys a 400-acre farm in South Texas and dubs it the Double Dime Ranch after the number 10 that he and his father wore. Jones's messy public divorce was finalized that same offseason. By the time the 2000 season begins, he had remarried a Sharon Loganoff in the front yard of his parents' house in Pearson, Florida. The first son was born in June, and they named him Larry III. Everyone calls him Trey. Their second son, Shay, was born in 2004. And, yes, he is probably named after the site of his father's uh, greatest triumphs, Chipper has said he didn't name his son Shay to slap Met fans in the face, which, if I'm being honest, I'm skeptical about the veracity of that statement. I mean, there has to be a left hook in there somewhere, right? But he maintains that there wasn't any malicious intent towards the Mets fans. 
First of all, he said, I love that name. I think it's cool. And I enjoyed playing on that stage. Besides Atlanta, there was no place other than New York City that I enjoyed playing at more. And my son's name is actually a tribute to the Mets fans and that old stadium. And I know, I didn't dig into his messy divorce much. I know, I, I, I can't just ignore it, but if you know me, I just don't care about that tabloid bullshit. I don't care about pro athletes banging dimes on the road and whatever that entails in their private life. I just don't care. Of course, I was aware of the story back then, but I just didn't care. And now looking back on it 20 years later, I'm even less curious than ever to know the whole backstory. But I will say this, as someone who was a year older than Chipper, and I loved watching Chipper grow from a boy into a man. And yes, he was young, brash, arrogant. He was a type A athlete, uh, pro athlete kid. But man, has Chipper grown into a well-rounded man off the field. The hours of interview I listened to this week, it really encapsulates the growth of Chipper Jones, someone I basically grew up with. I admire him, and I truly hope I've grown immeasurably like he has from that 20-year-old arrogant kid I saw in 1992. As far as his relationship with the Mets fans, it it evolved into a respectful but still hated admiration, kind of cooled off after 9-11. After the 2001 season, the Braves signed former All-Star third baseman Vinny Castilla as a free agent. And Chipper moved to left field for the good of the team. And Chipper actually enjoyed a chance to get away from that daily mental and physical grind of playing the infield. Castilla was a solid option at third, but he was signed with the Rockies after only two seasons. And the hot corner was given to Mark DeRosa. In 2003, the Braves signed slugger Gary Sheffield to play right field. So, with Andrew and Chipper Jones and the big bat of Sheffield, the Braves had one of the most potent offensive trio of outfielders in all of baseball, Roman and Turner Field at this time. Chipper was moved to the cleanup spot in the lineup instead of his customary three-hole. And it really didn't matter. No matter where he batted or where he played, he continued to produce. He averaged 26 home runs and 103 RBIs in his first two seasons of left field service. With the Jones boys anchoring the lineup and a new cast of rotating faces like Russ Ortiz, Mike Hampton, Tim Hudson, replacing the big three in the rotation, with the last man remaining from the big three as the closer in John Smoltz, the Braves continued to dominate the NL East in the early 2000s. But they would only make it out of the first round once, and that was in 2001. In 2004, the Braves struggled out the gate. Jones strained his right hamstring, chasing a ball out in left field in April. He missed three weeks of action. When he returned, he was awful, limping into the all-star break with a 214 average. While, uh, you know, meanwhile, with DeRosa struggling at third and Chipper still gimpy in the legs, manager Bobby Cox decides to move Chipper back to third. And the switch may have saved Atlanta's season. As they played 680 ball in the second half, Chipper batted a career low 248, but he belted 11 of his 30 home runs in August as the back from the proverbial dead Braves again snatched the NLE's crown. However, they would bow to the Astros in the NLDS. In 2005, 
The Braves come out the gate ice cold. By the 4th of July, they find themselves chasing the District Nats. At age 33, Chipper is now the team's elder statement, uh, statesman, and he contributed with 21 home runs, but he missed more than 50 games after tearing a ligament in his left foot. But an infusion of new era Braves that included rookie Brian McCann, Jeff Rancourt, they would spur Atlanta to their 14th straight divisional title. And honestly, I'm not so sure that we'll ever see that happen again in my lifetime. 14 straight divisional titles? Good Lord. In 2006, the Braves failed to make the postseason for the first time in Chipper Jones' career. Following the inaugural WBC tournament in which Chipper smashed two home runs, he batted 324 for the Braves, including a long 20-game hitting streak and the only three-home run game of his career. But again, he was sidelined with nagging foot issues for 52 games, and he had only averaged 102 games played a year during his final nine seasons. He had six knee operations, and he survived the baseball grind on a daily dose of Percocet and Red Bull. After another solid season in 2007, in which he batted 337, led the NL and OPS, he became the early story of the 2008 season. He comes out the gate white hot, recording hits in 18 of his first 19 games. And he's keeping his average above 400 for a good two months strong here. When he hits home run career number 400 off of fifth starter Ricky Nalaska on June 5th, his average stood at 419. As fans and media alike are beginning to ask, can the 36-year-old chipper become the first player since Teddy Ball game in 1941 to bat 400? Chipper just laughed, called away too premature, and he insisted that no one can do it. Two weeks later, the average finally dipped below 400. Going into the All-Star break, he's batting 375 with 18 home runs. He suffered a shoulder injury after the break and hit only four more homers in the season's last two months. Because of the injury, he was reduced to a pitch-hitting uh, role the remaining two weeks. And because of that, he, you know, probably because of that, he would hold off the late-season charge by Albert Pujols to win his only batting title with a 364 average. Before the 2009 season, the Braves ensured that Chipper would be a legacy Brave by offering him a four-year, $61 million deal, which he accepted. Chipper said, I've been good to the Braves, but they've always been better than me. They never let me get to my free agent year, and I've made ridiculous money playing this game for them. In 2010... Chipper played sparingly in the WBC before leaving Team USA with an oblique injury. His batting average dropped 100 points to 264, and the Type A Chipper was frustrated by his poor showing. He was so annoyed that he spoke to the Braves front office and manager Bobby Cox about a possible retirement. This is 2010. Cox, the only big league manager Chipper had ever played for, had already announced that this would be his last tour as the Braves manager. Everyone decided to think on it, but Chipper's perspective would change on August 10th when he was charging a Hunter Pence grounder against the Astros, and the same left knee that he had torn 16 years ago was again shredded. No way was this proud old school baller going to go out on the ground 
in his last game. So, he was forced to watch Skipper uh, and his boys lose a tight NLDS to the Giants from the sidelines and Bobby Cox's last game at the helm for Atlanta. With the hand-picked successor, Freddie Gonzalez, taking the reins, Chipper makes it back to the field for opening day 2011. That year, he passed Mickey Mantle with his 1,510 career RBI, placing him second only to Eddie Murray among all-time switch hitters uh, in RBIs in baseball history. But the Braves would endure a monumental breakdown as their eight and a half game league September diminished up in smoke and they would fall I'm sorry, they would fail to make the postseason on that final day. During spring training of two thousand and twelve, the forty year old Chipper Jones announces his retirement just after the announcement uh, he injures his knee. And again, he had to go undergo another surgery on his knees. This time, it was a torn meniscus that forced him to miss opening day. But, he would eventually come back and even drop Dong in his first game back. His 468th and final home run of his career came off Phillies closer Jonathan Pavelbon on September 2nd at Turner Field. And, that would help the Braves qualify for yet one more postseason appearance. In the wild card game versus St. Louis, in his final Major League Baseball game, Chipper made a crucial error that led to the Cardinals' go-ahead rally in the fourth, and he went one for five in the elimination game. That was basically marred, if you remember, by a controversial infield fly rule that prevented the Braves from having the opportunity to tie the score. An all-round monster who batted 300 from both sides of the dish the only switch hitter in baseball history with more than a thousand plate appearances to accomplish that feat. His career was immortalized when he and uh, former teammates, uh, when he joined former teammates Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Skipper Bobby Cox, his former GM John Schultz at the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2018. And that my seamhead, boys and girls, is the story of the immortal Chipper Jones. I want to thank all of you for checking in this week. I'll try to do better next week. Before I go all young MC and bust a move out of here, let's take a look at some of those Chipper Jones stats. Let's see here. Let's see. Larry Chipper Jones, born April 24th, 1972 in Deland, Florida. So, a week from today, Chipper will be turning 51 years old. That's right, you heard me. Show of hands. Who feels old after hearing that? Right? 19-year baseball career, all of us spent in a Braves uniform. 85.3 war. Played in 2,499 games. 10,614 plate appearances, 2,746 hits, 1,619 runs scored, 549 career doubles, 38 triples. His 468 home runs is the third most dogs dropped by a switch hitter behind Mickey Mantle and Eddie Murray. His 1,623 RBIs a switch hitter is second only to Murray. 150 stolen bases, he was caught 46 times. 
1,502 walks to 1,409 strikeouts. 4,755 total bases, which is the second most for switch hitters behind only Eddie Murray. Chipper finished with a 303, 401, 529 slash. He batted 300 from both sides of the dish, a 930 OPS, and a 141 OPS plus. And here, let me give you some context. His career average of 303 is the best career average for a switch hitter. It's just slightly over Roberto Alomar by three-tenths of a point. He and Alomar are the only switch hitters to ever finish with an average of 300 or more. His 401 OBP is the third best all-time for a switch hitter behind only Mantle and Lance Berkman. As his slug, as is his slug of 529 and OPS of 930. Eight-time All-Star, 1999 NL MVP, two Slugger Silver Slugger Awards, 1999 and 2000. Four-time Player of the Week, one batting title, 2000 when he batted 364, edging out pool holes. So, as you can see, this Braves lifer is among the best. Of the best. I mean, he's right up there with uh, Mickey and Eddie Murray and that holy trinity of switch hitters. What an amazing career. And look, I gotta tell you, I'm so happy he's now in my collection. I really, really am. Again, I want to thank anyone who took time out of their day to listen to Backwards K-Pod. I humbly appreciate every one of you. So, With Chipper Jones in the back, I chop the head off of our baseball hydro, only to see two more baseball topics appear next week. I'll be doing my first pod ever out of the Charm City, and we're going back into stadium mode. We haven't done a stadium show in a while. Next week, we'll be looking at one of the greatest throwback baseball stadiums in the history of the game. We're going to South Chicago to study the history of good old Comiskey Park. Can't wait for that one. Me neither. Backwards K-Pod is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Or you can visit my website, diamondsnakejig.podbean.com to hear Chipper Jones or any of the shows I've done and my always expanding vault of archives. You can email the show backwardskpod at gmail.com. The show's Twitter handle is at back underscore K underscore podcast. My personal Twitter handle is at jrobbie1. That's J-R-O-B-B-I-E in the number one. The show's Instagram page, YouTube channel is backwardskpod. And you can always find me hanging out with the fans, talking scenes on Facebook, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private group page. Answer the questions, come on in, and join the fun. I'll never charge you for the baseball content here, but if you want to help a brother out, you can always rate and review me at UCFit. I am stern. I do what I do when I do, and I do it better than anyone else. I wouldn't say that if I didn't feel it, so look. Stars, superlatives, hook a brother up, and helps me to continue to do the Lord's work, entertaining you freaks, and talking baseball. There's a ton of stuff on Chipper Jones, all kinds of articles, hours of interviews. I'm a huge Mark for Jones. 
by all means, go out there and check it out. I want to thank Omar Gabi, my social media secret agent, holding me down. My social, uh, assistant produ- producer, Ozzy Cruz, who lined the Benny Ayala deal up again. That interview is going to be a banner. It will be there Tuesday morning. I'm sorry, Saturday morning in a VKB bonus pod. Oriole Southpaw Killer from back in the day. My dude, Benny, I can't wait. I'm hoping that porn stash of his is as glorious as ever. Benny Ayala on Saturday morning in a BKP bonus pod. I mean, who loves it like I do? Uh, no one. When that show drops, I'll be headed home for the first time in eight years. Charm City, Baltimore. Going to watch the Orioles, Red Sox, Series of the Yard. First time inside the stadium in 12 years. But... I'll still be putting in that work for you prince on my vacation when I drop that Comiskey Park throwback stadium show next week. And I think that's it. I about covered it all. Let me see here. Yeah, I think that's it. Let's keep this train rolling, folks. I love all of you. Thank you for your support. Please support my sponsors. Drink Budweiser and lots of it. Don't worry about what's on the can. That's stupid. Drink what's in the can. Check out Lavarose Fish Crab and Crawfish Hand Cleaners of crawfishhandcleaner.com. My boy Frankie Eyes in upstate New York, big time saltwater fisherman. Uh, he just got some of that. He swears by it. So check it out. Great product admitted by my former Navy shipmate. Parents, if you see your kid got their nose in the phones looking highly unproductive and bored AF, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless. And win the day. And like my boy Shayla Brand told me in our one-on-one sparring session in the archives, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. See you next week. If you dare to hang out with me in the bricks of West Baltimore, that is. One of the most dangerous places in the world, bitch. Don't worry, Cupcake. I got you. This is my town. I still own it. You're safe with me here at Backwards King Pond, where we collect ball players and their stories. See you next week, Cement Freaks. Peace.